You can turn over in your Bibles to 1 Peter. We've been doing a uh, study in uh, discipleship, and we've been, this is our third message in this. Usually we're going through a book of the Bible, but uh, for the last couple of weeks we've been talking about discipleship. We want to continue that tonight. Uh, you can remember the first week we talked about in John chapter 8, where it, it, it talks about what disciples do, and this series is called Discipleship, Be One, Make One. So we should be all about being a disciple of Christ, but we should also, as Christ instructs us, we should make disciples. The first week we talked about John 8, and we said that a disciple is someone who abides in Christ. They are constantly taken with Christ. They're, everything about them is Christ, and we said basically a disciple is someone who is a follower, a worshiper, and a imitator of Jesus Christ. That's what a disciple is. It's someone who follows Christ, it's someone who worships Christ, and it's also someone who imitates him. Now, we're not going to be perfectly like Christ in this life, right? Because we're still in our sinful bodies and we deal with sin probably daily, most of us. But we should strive to be more and more like Christ each and every day. So the first week we talked about abiding in Christ. The second week, last week, we talked about disciples. Uh, if you're going to be a disciple, it's, a, it's someone who, dis, who surrenders to Christ. And we talked about how that was a big deal. That's, it's a big thing to surrender yourself to somebody. Because, I don't know about you, but I like to be in control. I mean, I can't even drive in a car um, <laughs> as a passenger most times because I want to be in control. Okay, that's a, that's a step of faith for me. Um, however, I did make it all the way from Southern California to our house with my grandson driving the entire time. So <laughs> I'm making headway, okay? But only, my foot only went through the floorboard a couple times. But I, I think it's important to understand that you, when we surrender, last week we talked about it's a personal thing. We surrender personally, okay? It's something that you have to come to a point in your life where you understand what it means to surrender to Christ. I lived 19 years of my life growing up in, in the Catholic faith. I had never surrendered my life to Christ. I didn't know what that meant. I never heard that terminology. And I lived under the guilt and the shame of, of everything they told me. And um, finally one day share, somebody shared the gospel with me. Finally somebody said, look, being religious, being a Catholic, being an altar boy, that's not going to get you to heaven. And so I began to understand more and more that, wow, this is, this is serious stuff. This isn't a joke. This is something that we have to deal with. And so uh, it was only when I understood my need of a Savior that, hey, I, I was a sinner. I may have been a Catholic. I may have been a good Catholic. I may have been an altar boy. But I still had sin in my heart. I still did things that weren't honoring to the Lord. And so when I understood that, and I understood my need for forgiveness, that's when I put my faith, my trust in Christ. And I, I stopped trusting in a religion and I started trusting in the person of Jesus Christ. And I tell you, it made the world a difference. It gave you purpose. It gave you meaning. It, you know, you're not just doing things to earn God's favor anymore. You know, I've shared this before, but a lot of times when I used to drive Uber, you know, people would find out in our conversation in the car as I'm driving to the airport that I was a pastor. And so they, they would always say the same thing. Oh, you must be very religious. And I would always say, no. I don't want to be religious because religious will send you to hell. Uh, re religion will send you to hell because religion is just man's feeble attempt to earn God's favor. 
It's just all religions of the world. They all have their lists, right? Here, you got to do this. You can be part of our group if you do this, if you do that. God will love you more if you do this, if you go to church, if you, you know, stop this or start that or whatever. The difference between religion and Christianity is simply boils down to two words. Religion is all about the word D-O, what you do. And it's very important we understand that. It's, it's, it's all caught up in what you do. Talk to any religious person. What are the first thing they do? I'm a good person. Why are you a good person? Because I do this. <laughs> right? That's what they say. And, and they sincerely think that. That's fine. They're just not right. That's not what God's word says. As Christians, what do we do? We don't put our faith in what we do, but we put our faith in the word D-O-N-E, what was done right for us on Calvary. Because Christ did something for us that we couldn't do for ourselves. He died for us as a perfect sacrifice. See, a lot of people, even in, in the world religions, believe that if they just somehow sacrifice their life, if they go and live in a monastery somewhere and give up all the comforts of life, that somehow, eventually, that's going to earn them something. No, that's still doing stuff. And God says, you can do everything that you could possibly do, and if it's outside of Christ, they're like filthy rags. All your good works are like filthy rags. So we have to put our faith, our trust in what was done for us. And we do that personally. We surrender to Christ. We give up our agenda and we say, you know what, God, I've been trying this for a while now. It's not really working out that great. Maybe I should look to your word and see where you want me to put my faith and my trust. And that would be in Christ, his son. So we do that personally. And then we talk about the surrender. It's not something we just do one time. I wish it was in a way. It'd be a lot easier. But it's daily. Christ says, you have to do this daily. Take up his cross. He says, you can follow me, you can be my disciple if you surrender, but if you also, if you do it, you have to do it daily. And remember, the cross was what? It was an instrument of death back in Jesus' time. It wasn't some little gold thing you hung around your neck. So this was a, a major commitment that he was calling people to. And then thirdly, he says, and you have to follow me. And so we, we basically said that you you, you surrender personally, you surrender daily, and you surrender obediently. And so your agenda goes by the wayside, and you begin to put your faith, your trust in Christ, and you say, you know what, God, it's not about me anymore, it's about what you want me to do. And this is what we're going to talk about today. Not only do disciples abide and surrender, but they also, disciples, serve. Disciples serve. This is just known fact. And, and you can turn in your Bibles to First Peter, and we're going to be looking there in a second. But I don't know if you know who Bud Wilkerson is, but he was a Hall of Fame coach for the Oklahoma Sooner uh, football. And uh, he did it for a very, very long time. So he was very respected, okay, as a college coach. And uh, one of those years, they won the national title. And in a news conference, one of the reporters asked the coach a very specific question. And he said this, Coach Wilkerson, how do you think college football has positively affected and contributed to the overall fitness of America? And I'll never forget this guy's answer, this coach's answer. He was just thought very well on his feet. He says, well, first of all, I don't think that college football has affected or positively contributed to anyone's <laughs> physical well-being in America because of this reason. This is what he said. In a college football game, there are 22 players on the field. 
in desperate need of rest. But there are 50,000 spectators in the stands in desperate need of exercise. <laughs> Is that a good point? I mean, that's such a good point. And, and we know that we can't get into shape. Those of us that need to get more into shape, get into shape. We can't do it by watching someone else work out. It just doesn't work. I mean, you can sit there all day on your couch and, 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 and watch somebody work out on your TV. And no matter how much that person sweats, no matter how intensely you watch them work out, you will not get in shape by watching other people exercise. Um, Christianity in America, unfortunately, has become somewhat of a, what we would call a spectator activity. I think you would agree with that, those of you who are part of the church in general. It's, it's been this way in America for the last several decades, probably, but where people have thought that God wants us to gather and they want us to watch someone perform on a platform, whether it's through music, whether it's through speaking, whatever. And then on the way home, we get to critique how they did. That's what church is about today almost. It's sad. It's sad. And it sounds almost ridiculous when we, when we say it that way. But that's what happens every Sunday. People come to church, they watch what goes on, and then they leave and they critique what happened. I mean, we've all done that. Um, see, God wants us to gather. He does. But he doesn't want us to gather just so someone can perform for us so that we can walk away and say, oh boy, that, that, that song really hit me or that message really you know, touched my heart or, or whatever like that. Um, that's not all that God expects from us. Um, just like you can't get into shape by watching somebody else exercise, nor can you be a follower of Jesus by simply watching other people follow Jesus. It doesn't work that way. It just doesn't work that way. That's not what God expects from us. The only way to be a follower, to be a disciple of Jesus, and this is really deep, <laughs> not really, the only way to be a follower of Jesus, to be a disciple of Jesus, is to be a servant of Jesus who is actually serving Christ. You have to serve Christ. Uh, now that word disciple, we talk about discipleship, the, the word disciple literally means, as we said, follower or imitator, worshiper of Christ. That's what it means. But it indicates some kind of action. You know, if you're going to follow somebody, if I say, hey, come on, follow me. I'm going to go over to the other church, over to the other building, you know, and I turn around and you're still sitting there, I'd be like, well, what's wrong with you? Come on. I said, follow me, right? You would have to do something. You would have to get up out of your chairs and actually follow me over to the other building. That would be following what I'm asking you to do. And, and that's what Jesus did. He went around and he told people, you know what? You need to follow me. You need to come to me. I'm the only access to the Heavenly Father. There, there's no other way to get to God except through me. He says, I am, I am, I, I am the only, I, I am the gate, I am the door, I am the way, he said. I'm the truth, I'm the life. He didn't say, I'm one of many ways. He never said that. He said, no, I am the way. Right, And so Jesus went around and he told people, I want you to follow me. 
He was saying is, I'm going, I want you to follow me. I want you to imitate me. I want you to, to do what I'm doing. I want you to think like I'm thinking. And then Jesus would say something like this. You're, you truly know that you are my followers. You truly know that you are my disciples if you do what I tell you to do. If you obey me. If you actually follow me. Um, and Jesus knew that salvation is invisible. You can't look at me and say, that person is saved. That person knows God. That person is going to heaven. That person is born again. There's no way you could physically look at me and see that. God doesn't save us and, and, and put a little S on our head, you know, oh, saved. It doesn't do that. Um, and so it, it's, it's, it's an invisible thing that happens in the heart. No one can see what God has done with your heart. No one. Only God. What they see, though, when people look at believers, they do see a changed heart. They do see a changed life. Why? Because it's revealed through their actions, right? It's revealed by what they look like. It's kind of like when you, my sister always used to say, oh, look at the wind. I'd go, what? can't see the wind. Well, you know what I mean. It's, the leaves are blowing around. It's, well, that's the effects of the wind, but you can't see the wind. See, and it's the same thing with salvation. When you come to Christ, Christ does something. God does something in your heart. He changes you from the inside out. And then Christ begins to live through you, and then people look at you and they go, wow, you're different. Why are you different? Oh, you know, I, I was saved. I was transformed. God, God changed my heart. So I live differently. I act differently. I speak differently. What are all those things? They're outward evidence, outward proof that shows something happened on the inside. That's why as, as believers, as followers of Christ, when someone makes a commitment to Christ, what's one of the first things that they should do? They should be baptized, right? Why do we do that? Does that save them? No. We don't believe baptized. Baptism saves anybody. There's only one way to be baptized, or only one way to be saved, and that's through Christ. The reason people are baptized, the reason we, we have a, a baptismal over in the, the, the church, and so we fill it up with nice warm water, and when people want to get baptized, totally different than what they did in the New Testament. They go down the ocean or the, the river or the creek or whatever. Um, I, my wife and I were baptized a second time just because, for the fun of it, in, in the Jordan River, which I probably wouldn't recommend because it's pretty gross. You know, I mean, I ran for that shower after I got out of that water because it was just disgusting. But, you know, you're over there in the Holy Land, and even though I had already been biblically baptized, and, and, and baptism is basically just a picture of your salvation. You take someone and you put them under the water and you bring them back up, that means baptism. It's not sprinkling. It never meant that in the Bible. It meant dipping. It meant submerging. That's why in the New Testament, whenever you see somebody who's getting baptized, what are they doing? They're going down into the water. They're looking for water uh, to be baptized. They don't take their little water bottle and go, here, let me sprinkle you on the head. Now, now you're baptized. That doesn't work that way. That's not true biblical baptism. But people get baptized because they want to show other people, hey, this is a sign of an of a inward change. I want people to see that now I am living and I want to be held accountable to live my new life in Christ. 
Uh, we're not saved by baptism. We're, we're not saved by our works. We're not saved by following Christ. But discipleship is participation. It's, it's, it's an activity. It's something that we do. We, we follow Christ. And as a result of that, that proof shows people that, well, we're going in a different direction now. You know, Steve was going this way. He, he wanted to go into law enforcement. He wanted to do all this. But then all of a sudden, God saved me. And, and now I'm going in a totally, completely different direction. It's following that the evidence, it's showing us uh, that, that the evidence that we are saved. When we are following Christ, people are looking at that and they're going, wow, this person is different. It's really a participation in the life of Jesus. And we do the things that he's called us to do. Um, we follow him. So we're in this series talking about following Christ. We've been talking about the evidences. We've, we've been talking about what Jesus said. If you'll know me and you'll follow me, here's what you do. We talked about abiding. We talked about surrendering. Well, tonight we want to talk about serving. And this happens throughout the entire New Testament. This isn't something that just happens here in, in 1 Peter. Because God has not called us to simply um, attend church services. That's not what being a Christian is about. If we could just get this, if the church could get this in their heads, we're not interested in people just coming to church. That's not what we want people to do. Now, it's great. You come, that's wonderful. But at the same time, if you're just coming, you're just warming a chair, that's not really serving Christ, right? Um, and you see this throughout the entire New Testament. It's not just about coming to a church service. It's about being of service to others, right? It's about being involved. It doesn't matter whether it's Jesus, Peter, John, Paul, whoever's writing over and over and over again, you're constantly going to see almost on every page of the New Testament, serve, serve, serve. The word's there somewhere in some form, encouraging us as believers that we're called to serve. And you know what I found is that if someone has been changed by the grace of God, if someone is genuinely a follower of Christ, if someone is genuinely one of his disciples, if someone is genuinely saved, you can't keep them from serving. It's just a natural outflow of your Christian walk. Because as a Christian, you're overwhelmed that Christ would do something for you, like go to the cross and die on a on a on a a cross for you when he did absolutely nothing wrong. He didn't do anything wrong. But he took our wrongs upon himself. And he did it out of his love for us. So that we wouldn't have to pay the penalty of our sin. He paid it for us. And so as a result of that, you know, wouldn't you be a little appreciative if somebody came up to you, you don't even know the person, don't even know anything about them, and they said, here's a check for a million dollars. Have a nice life. And they walked away. Would you just say, Wait, 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 what's your name? Right? You'd want to know more about this person. You would want to know. You'd be curious. You would feel a little indebted to that person who just gave you a million dollars absolutely free. No contingencies, nothing. If he just walked away, that would be torture. You would want to know what his name is. You wouldn't want to know all these things. Um, see, and that's what happens when you come to Christ. When you're legitimately saved, you, your heart is overwhelmingly filled with gratitude for what God has done in your life. For the first time in your life, you're able to get outside of yourself and do what God 
has called you to do. Now, even though we're talking about serving, and I'm a pastor of a church, um, there's nothing in me that is going to beg you to serve Jesus. I'm not that kind of person. I, I, I would never do that. I would not beg you to serve our Lord. Um, I would say, if you're not serving, if you're saying you're a Christian and you're not serving, I would say this. You better examine your heart because something's wrong. Something's wrong. Because service is not an option for a believer. It's just not. It never has been. And so what we're going to do tonight is just remind us a little bit what disciples do. And then invite you to find out where you fit. You know, if you're already plugged in, if you're already serving, we, we're in a smaller church here. And, and probably, you know, a lot of churches, 20% uh, of the people do 80% of the work. You know, you hear that all the time. At our church, it's almost flipped around. You know, very, very few people are not involved in some form of ministry here, serving others. And we're grateful for that. But as we turn to 1 Peter, look at verse um, 10 of chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. Now I want to remind you, Peter is speaking to a, the church here. He's speaking to believers. Okay, He's talking to every person who's a born-again believer, someone who says, I'm a follower, I'm a disciple of Christ. And so here's what he says in verse 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion uh, forever and ever. Amen. So as he says there, as each has received a gift, who is he referring to? He's referring to believers. If you're a follower of Christ here tonight, if you're born again, I want you to understand that you have a gift. God has given you at least one gift, one spiritual gift to employ to serve the body of Christ. And so he's talking to everybody here who is a follower of Christ. I just want to show you show three quick things with this. Three quick evidence, three quick things that point out what's evident about every disciple. First of all, every disciple of Jesus is, first point there, equipped through grace to serve others. We're equipped through grace to serve others. Look at verse 10 again of 1 Peter 4. It says, as each has received a, what? Gift. Circle that. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied, and then it says grace. All right? These are gifts that are given to us by his grace. Um, th that word gift is, is, is really the word charisma, we get that, 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 that meaning from it. The original word, uh, charisma, it's a, it's a joint word. Charis, which means grace, and mata, which means gift. It's a gracious gift. You see the same word in Romans 6.23. And, and Paul writes in Romans 6.23, here's how he uses the word in the book of Romans. He says, the wages of sin is death. In other words, the, the just wage of someone who is a sinner is going to be death. Physical death and also spiritual death, unless your sins are forgiven through Christ. So he says the wages of sin is death. He just states that fact. Then he says this. Paul says, but the free, what? Gift. Same word. 
the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what Paul wants us to know is, hey, you know what? We all got to pay this wage of death. Death is, is going to happen to all of us. The key is, are you ready? And I was able to share in kind of a, a very poignant way the gospel of Christ with him. And I know he's not in an emotional state to really understand it at this point, but maybe something that's going to be said through the service. The good thing was is he had nothing planned for the service and he didn't care what I did. So I thought, okay, I'm going to preach the gospel. So, you know, we're going to have 60 people here. They're going to hear the gospel, and we're going to point them to Christ, and hopefully, you know, some words of comfort will minister to this man's heart. But he was struck with the idea that, wow, his wife died. And then Paul says, but the free gift. In other words, you don't have to go that route. There's a free gift, and that free gift offers you eternal life with God forever. Because, you know what, we're all going to die one day. That's very clear. And you don't just die in, you know, in the coffin and then you know, rot in the ground. I mean, that's your physical body. But the Bible says that body one day will be raised from the dead. And it will be joined with the soul that goes on to be with the Lord. But see, some people don't understand. If you're not a believer, guess what? You're still going to live for eternity. <laughs> but the only problem is, where are you going to live? You know, are you going to live with God in heaven forever? Surrounded by his glory and touched by his mercy and grace for all of eternity? I mean, think of eternity. It's not a year. It's not, it's not two years. It's not ten years. It's not a hundred years. It's not a thousand years. It's not a million years. It's not a billion years. It's not a trillion years. It's forever. Ever. And God says, look, I don't want you to go to some place forever and not be with me. But you know what? That's the wage you're going to receive unless you come to Christ. But I'm offering you a free gift. You don't have to do anything for it. It's a free gift of God, Paul says. It's eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the same word that Paul, uh, or that Peter talks about here when he's talking about these gifts that he gives to us. See, we're saved by free grace. You can't earn grace. You can't merit grace. You, 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 the Bible doesn't say you have to work really hard and then God gives you somehow, then he ministers to you more grace, and then you're saved. I grew up in a church where it says, you know, basically you can be really, 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 really good, and you're still not guaranteed heaven. You go to a kind of a hanging point in between heaven and hell, and maybe if people give enough money to the church and they pray hard enough, maybe eventually you'll get out of purgatory and go to heaven. But grace is a gift. It's a free gift. We're saved, the Bible says, by grace through what? Through faith. And, and a lot of people don't understand this. A lot of people, even Christians, get this wrong. Do you realize that you're not saved by faith? You're not saved by faith. Some people say, well, I just had faith and I was saved. No. You're, you're, you're not saved. You're what? You're not saved your own faith. I have faith to believe. You hear that all the time from people that go to healing meetings, and they'll get healed. Well, you didn't have enough faith, right? That's their cop-out, when really all they are is after your money. But no, you're saved. You're saved by God's grace. But you receive that by placing your faith in Christ. And so here, this is the way that you receive salvation. And, and this is a gift that God gives us. And we want to receive it freely. We, we place 
our faith in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And by his grace, he saves us. Um, he was our sin bearer on the cross. He bore the wrath of, of, of God for my sin. And so when I place my faith in his work on the cross and say that, you know what, he just didn't remain on the cross. That's why when you go over here to this building and you see our cross, there's nobody on the cross because Jesus isn't on the cross. Matter of fact, they took his body down physically, they put it in a tomb, and what happened? The third day he was raised from the dead, victorious over sin and death. So it doesn't have to have a hold on us anymore. And so we take all that, that's what, what faith is. We place our, our, our faith in his work, not in our work. We don't try to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and say, I just got to be a better person. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to get baptized. I'm going to join the church. I'm going to give money to the church. Who cares? If your heart's not right, if you haven't put your faith and trust in Christ for your salvation, none of that means anything. And so this is what he's telling us. Every person who has been forgiven of their sin has also, Peter says, been equipped to serve. You've been forgiven of your sin by the Savior, but you've also been equipped by the very same grace that he saved you with. He gives you a gift. God gives us both saving grace and what? Serving grace. We serve God through his grace. Matter of fact, the Bible says if we, if we serve God in our flesh, if we serve God just the way we want to do it, and, and you know, we think we know best, the Bible says that's not doing something by faith, that's doing something by sin. You're sinning, basically. And so there are some people that were called to serve, and guess where he calls us to serve as believers? In what? The church. In the church. Now, I know there's some tough people in the church. Amen? Some of us are those tough people, right? I mean, we just are. I like what Chuck Swindoll says about the church. He says, it's like a pack of porcupines trying to get closer and closer, and then they start poking each other. You know, that's what the church is like. And we can all be tough at times. Um, and we can be challenging at times. But you know what? You don't really have saving grace and serving grace if you're not serving. In order uh, to keep on serving, he gives you this sustaining grace. You overlook people's faults. You're willing to go the extra mile for people who don't even care about you or anything you're trying to do for them. Um, and in order to keep on serving, he gives you that sustaining grace. And we know that we have to keep on going. And it's that same grace. It's a free gift. So every person who's been saved, they have a, a free gift of grace and and God is enabling them to serve. So we, we typically see this when we, when we deal with spiritual gifts, when we talk about spiritual gifts, but really it requires, it's not something you can just do on your own. It requires spiritual power to serve God, right, in an honoring way. If you're doing it in your flesh, the Bible says you're doing what? You're sinning. So you can even serve in your mind, you can think you're serving God, but if you're doing it for the wrong motives and the wrong purpose, and you're doing it merely for a performance, or you're doing it merely to, to try to think that God will like you more because of what you're doing, you're doing it in the flesh. And the Bible says, that's sinful. That's sinful. A lot of times I've seen this happen to pastors. I mean, they sell themselves out to the church. And they serve the church night and day, year after year after year. And then their kids grow up and their teenagers hate God. And they go the opposite direction. 
because her dad never had any time for him because he was always serving the church. He was serving the people in the church. And it looked real good on the outside. But their family was a wreck. See, that's, that's not true service. That's not true service. And so discipleship, making disciples, we have to understand, is a spiritual work. And it requires spiritual power. And that's what God has given us when he's equipped us through grace to serve others. You can't do it yourself. You can't do it. It requires a spiritual power. And God has already empowered you as believers to do what he's called you to do. I love the fact that God tells us to do a lot of things in Scripture, but he never tells us to do something that he does not equip us to do. We may not feel equipped, right? We may not feel competent to do what he's called us to do, but in the end, he's already equipped us to do it. He's given us the ability to do it, the, the power to do it, whatever it might be. And so sometimes we just have to trust him. And we just have to say, okay, God, I'm going I'm to trust you. Now, if you don't know what your spiritual gift is, you're, if, if you're a believer here, it says each has received a gift. There's ways that you can discover that. You can, you can do things like, well, you can just begin to serve that, and find out. You know, if you come to me and say, hey, you know what, I'll serve. Where do you need me? Well, we need you down in the Sunday school with the twos and threes. Okay, all right, I'll serve there. And, you know, I see you after you've been down there a day and you're missing half your hair and your horse and the kids are crying. I'll probably tell you, you know what, that's probably not your spiritual gift. Let's try somewhere else, right? I mean, but you have to do something. You know, it's very hard. Well, it's impossible to steer a car that's not moving, right? It's impossible. Because even if you can turn the wheel, the car's not going to go anywhere if it's not moving. All right? And so as believers, we need to be serving. And you can take, we have different spiritual gift assessments. You take a little, a little fun test. tells you a little bit about yourself. And it points you in a general direction. Well, you know what? You don't really like to be around people, so we're probably not going to put you as a greeter at the door. <laughs> okay. But maybe you, you like to cook, so you'll be in the kitchen. Or maybe you, you want to pray for people. Maybe that's your, your, your gift. Whatever it might be. But you have to get plugged in. You have to be serving. And you have to know that even though you, you, know, you discover what your gift is, you also have to realize that who confirms your spiritual gifts? It's the body of Christ. You know, if, if someone tells you that, you know, you should do this and you try to go do that and it's a disaster, what is that? That's people not affirming your gift. I've had people come up to me and say, you know what, I really have the gift of teaching. I want to teach. I want to teach. I want to teach. And, and finally they teach. And it's, it's a train wreck because they're not gifted to teach. You know, they're, they're pursuing a certain gift that puts them in front of people then they think somehow that's good or something. I don't know. But it's a very serious thing. But they have to kind of discover that on their own. And then there's other people who are not teaching, and I can tell they kind of have a gift to do this. And you got to kind of push them because they're reluctant to do it. But then all of a sudden they start doing it. You know, Kainoa is a good example. Okay, started having him teach on Wednesday nights. And, you know, He's, he's, he's gifted to teach. You can just tell when he teaches. It's, it's, he's very passionate about it. It comes across very natural. He enjoys it. People affirm it. Right? You're fed when he teaches. That, that's what happens. And, and so you don't want to try to be somebody you're not. 
You know, if my arm would go around telling the rest of my body, I'm a leg, I'm a leg, I'm a leg, what's the rest of the body going to do? Say, no, you're, you're, not a, you're not a leg arm. Just do the arm stuff. Leave the leg stuff up to the legs. All right? And we've all been around people who, whether they're a teacher, whether they're a preacher, and, you know, they couldn't preach. Why are you looking at me that way? No, just kidding. So, you know, but it, it's important. Right? It's, it's important to have that confirmation because it's an indication that you're going in the right direction. Well, he's using the word serve here. Notice it says equip through grace to serve others. In, in the scriptures, when we, when we read that, we know that in, in verse 10 there, he says to use it to serve one another. It's the word diakonos. It's, it's where we get the word deacon from. You ever hear that word deacon, you know, in church polity, the, you have the elders and you have the deacons. It comes out of Acts uh, chapter 6, basically. They're all gifted in certain ways, but some people are really, uh, really gifted in, in the area of, of service. When God gives us a gift, it says to serve one another. You know, when you go out in your backyard and you have an apple tree or an orange tree, I mean, do you really think that apple tree is growing those apples for itself? You would say no. That'd be silly, right? The apple tree doesn't eat the apples. <laughs> it's what? It's, it's producing apples for the consumption of others. That's what it's doing. Our, see, and, and when we come to our spiritual gifts, when we come to the area of service, God gives us spiritual gifts, but he says, don't, these aren't for you. Okay, this is a gift I'm giving you. It's an ability I'm giving you, but it's to be used on the rest of the body. It's to be used to serve one another. You don't take your spiritual gift and go in your little closet at home and just say, you know, okay, I'm just going to teach myself. God's given me the gift of teaching. I'm just going to, I'm going to teach myself. No, that wouldn't make any sense. God gifts us men and even women with gifts of teaching uh, to, to be able to teach men and women the word of God. And so if we don't use our gifts, what are we doing? We're not just hindering our relationship with God, we're really affecting the rest of the body in an adverse way, in a negative way. And so we have to use our spiritual gift to serve who? Serve others. He's talking about the church. That's where we start. You know, I know a lot of, a lot of believers who they go to church, they're not involved in their church, but they're involved in a lot of other things. You have even Christians today say, well, I believe in doing random acts of kindness. So that's what I do. Well, that's great. I mean, I'm not going to argue with that. That's a wonderful thing to help somebody, you know, pay for the guy in front of you at Starbucks or whatever. There's nothing wrong with that. But that's not biblical. You don't see random acts of kindness. Jesus doesn't say, yeah, go do random acts of kindness on everybody. You don't see that anywhere in the Bible. No, he calls us to a consistent life of what? Service. A consistent life of service. Daily. Not random acts now and then. Now, we feel good when we do good things for other people. That's wonderful. I'm not saying don't do that. But that's not a consistent life of service. You know, it's kind of like the person that, that, that comes to church at, at Christmas and, and Easter. And then you ask them, do you go to church? Yeah, I go to church. <laughs> well, then really, they don't. I mean, they go twice a year. You know, they show up twice a year. So you have to stop and you have to uh, realize that 
If, if that's your mentality, you know, um, you're not really being a disciple. Uh, you're, you're, you're being more of a, what, what I'd call a, a spiritual couch potato. You know, you're going and you're just consuming week after week after week. You know, you're not really serving anyway, anybody. And Jesus says, if you do that, you're really not my disciples. Now, in Acts chapter 6, he, he goes into this whole thing, and we're not going to go into it, but what happens is, is the church begins to grow. And it says, that, it says in verse 1 of Acts 6, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, notice the disciples were increasing in number, not the church attendees. The, the disciples were increasing in number, those who were following Christ. Um, what happened was, because they were growing so much, they had certain issues with getting the widows in their church the food they needed daily. So there were certain people in the community who their husbands had died. They didn't have any resources of their own, and the church took it upon themselves to feed these dear ladies. Well, the church grew so much, and there were so many of these ladies, uh, that it became a major task. It wasn't just you know two or three anymore. It said they had to set up tables. They were serving tables. And it says in verse 2, and the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples, all of them, and it said, you know what? It's, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. What was happening? The disciples of Christ were called to teach and to preach the gospel. That's what they were doing. But all of a sudden, their church grew so fast, they couldn't do that anymore because they were too busy feeding the poor widows. And so they said, hey, wait a minute, something's got to change here. We can't do all this stuff ourselves. You know, it's kind of like these poor guys down on the border, right? The border patrol guys. These are good men and women that want to serve our country, that want to do their job. Unfortunately, the government's not allowing them to do their job. I can't imagine how frustrating that would be. And you see by the exodus from <laughs> their ranks how frustrating it is. Okay, they end up being babysitters. They're not enforcing the border because they're not enforcing the border anymore. It's a hard thing to deal with. They're having to do all this other stuff. Well, what was happening here in verse 3, it says, Therefore, brothers, pick out among you seven men of good repute, full of wisdom and the spirit of whom I will appoint this duty. In other words, we're going to delegate this. But we're going to devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now, this doesn't mean that one's more important than the other. All the disciples were saying is we can't do everything. We simply can't do it all. That's why when the church comes together and they serve together, they serve the body of Christ together, that's why the church grows. And that's what it says. And they set these, uh, they set these men before the apostles. They pray. They laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase because they were able to teach because they didn't have to wait these tables. And that's what that word serve means, waiting tables. You're, you're a waiter or a waitress. And it says, the word of God continued to increase, verse 7, and the number of the disciples, not church growers, but the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So the church basically just exploded. But the reason was is because disciples were multiplying. People who were serving Christ were multiplying. And when you think of that, that, that service, you, you think of a a, a waiter. It's not something we all want to do, but it's something that we're, we're called to do. 
And, and I think it's important because it's, there's different distinctions, right? Even if you go in a restaurant, sometimes they have waiters that bring the hors d'oeuvres, and then you have somebody else that brings the salad or makes the salad, and then you have the main entree that comes out of the bread or the dessert or whatever. Then you have people that after you leave, they actually clean the restaurant up. You know, it takes a group of people to allow you to have an enjoyable dinner. It's not just one person usually. These are all people that are doing what God has called them to do. And the church is no different. In the church, you have pastors, you have preachers, you have missionaries, you have ushers, you have greeters, you have people that work in the kitchen, you have people that work in Sunday school, you have all these different ministries, sound, worship team, all this stuff, right? It's not just one person doing everything. It doesn't work that way. And so he makes it very clear that when this happens, the disciples get multiplied. Things start to happen. It's really important that we understand that, you know, are you asked, let me ask you this question. Are you, are you contributing right now in your service to a local church, whether it's this church or another church? I hope you are. Because if you're coming to church, you're consuming. That's fine. We all do that. We all come to church and consume something. But my question would be, what are you contributing as far as service? It's okay to be a consumer. I mean, we're here to grow and to learn, right? I mean, you don't just plug your ears when the pastor's teaching or the worship team's singing or whatever. No, you're, 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 you're enjoying that. But at the same time, you have to ask yourself, are you contributing? And once again, we're not going to beg you to contribute. You should want to contribute because you're a disciple. And that's how disciples are made. And we all are gifted differently in order to function effectively. That's what 1 Corinthians 12 says. And we've talked about that, the arm not being the leg and everything. We're not going to go into all that. But a spiritual gift has given to at least each and every one of us so that we can serve one another. I don't know if you ever thought about this, but you know, have you ever thought of a, a pencil? Something as simple as a pencil. I mean, just imagine it. You know, the old yellow pencil with the eraser and everything. I don't think anybody in this room would have the resources to make a pencil. I mean, think about where, where, you know, where it all starts, right? I mean, from scratch, you have to mine the graphite. You have to know how to go into the forest and, and cut down wood. And then you have to build some form of machinery that will make all those dents on the metal part to hold the eraser in there and hold the metal part to the pencil. Um, and then you've got to somehow get that graphite in the wood I mean, it's amazing when you, when you really honestly stop and think about it. And then you have to take all these pencils. You have to have the logistics to get, somehow get all of these pencils, by the way, which are billions. There's billions of pencils. And people still use pencils, by the way. You have to get them to the people that want them. I mean, how many people would it take to do that? And not just one. <laughs> not just one. How many people have to work together to coordinate to just get that one yellow pencil in your hands or that box of pencils in your hands, whatever it might be. But how much more should we work hard, should we work together, not to get a pencil to somebody, but for the sake of the gospel, right? We're not delivering pencils, folks. I mean, life and death weighs in the balance for most people. Uh, we're making disciples that last forever. I think that's worth it. And so you have to really think of the heart of Christ. If you're a disciple, if you're following him, you know what? You'll say, I'll do whatever it takes. It's worth it. 
because you understand that there's an eternal soul at stake here. Well, secondly, quickly, every disciple not only is equipped through grace to serve others, but secondly, is expected with gratitude to serve others. Notice what he says there in verse 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve another, one another, as good stewards. As good stewards. We don't use that word steward very much. Um, you know, basically it's a slave. That's really what a steward was. They were managers of other people's stuff. <laughs> they didn't have anything. But they managed all the rich people's stuff. And, and so they were a steward of someone. Um, the master would put these slaves in control of everything they owned, basically. And they were given that extreme responsibility to manage the resources of their master. And, um, you know, when you, when you hear that word steward, you know, think of, um, you know, when you've flown on a plane. What do they call the lady? A stewardess, right? What does she do? She manages the resources on that plane, okay? She doesn't own the plane. Now, I've run into some stewardesses that think they do own the plane, right? I mean, they're just rude and obnoxious and everything. But most of them are very loving, and they're there to serve you. They're a steward of the resources of the person who owns the plane. And so they have to have some form of, um, you know, communication skills, and they have to be you know, gracious, and all these things. And they're there to dispense the things that the managers gave them, whether it's the refreshments or the seats or the, 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 what goes on in the plane. I mean, they're stewardesses and stewards of that plane. Well, God has given us all kinds of gifts, each one of us. And he says, you know what? Are you being a good steward of what I've given you? I've given it to you. You didn't create this on your own but are you being a good steward of what I have given you? We're all going to be held accountable one day. We're all going to stand before God, and he's going to say, what did you do with the gifts that I gave you? Did you just sit at home and do nothing? Did you, um, instead of using your gifts in the church, were you too busy at sporting events or concerts or whatever, uh, not able to serve because you always had something going on on a Sunday, or were you just so into your work you could never work on a Sunday? Uh, whatever. I mean, you know, it's, it's very important to understand that one day we will act. Jesus will ask us, what did you do with my gifts? And if we're not using them to serve the body of Christ, that's going to be a tough situation to be in. Because I don't know about you, but I want to hear those words. You know those words, right? One day, well done, what? Good and faithful, what? Servant. Good and faithful servant. Faithful means that you can be counted on. Faithful means that you don't give up. Faithful means that you continue no matter what. And that's what he calls us to be. Faithful means that I'm going to do the right thing at the right time for the right reason, regardless of what people think. And I'm going to do it over and over and over again. And you know what? When I mess up, when I don't do that, I'm going to repent so that I can get better. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to stick to it. This is what the church needs. We don't need consumers. We need people who are going to be willing to be faithful servants. That's what God calls us to, because he's going to come back one day. <laughs> and I don't want to be standing there before him empty-handed. Empty well, the last thing here quickly is that God also uh, says every disciple of Jesus Christ is empowered by God to serve others. And we kind of already touched on this, but notice what it says there in verse 11. 
whoever serves as one who serves by his own strength. Does it say that? No. It says by the strength that what? God supplies. By the strength that God supplies. Why do you think God does that? Why, why, why wouldn't God say, you know what? Yeah, go work hard and maybe you can make it work out. No, he, he says, I'm going to give you everything you need. I'm going to give you the gift and then I'm going to give you the ability to use the gift and, and then I'm going to give you the abilities you have and all that stuff. And, and it's all going to be a result of the strength that I give you. He does that for his own glory. He does that because he doesn't share his glory with anyone. No one. And it's a perfect kind of, of glory. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's not a, he's not on an ego trip. Okay, a lot of people say, well, why would God do that? That's, I mean, he wants all the glory for himself. He's just a glory hound. No, you're talking about God. You're not talking about another human being. Everything God does is holy. Everything God does is perfect. Everything that God oversees in this world that happens, happens for a purpose and a plan to carry out his will. The good, the bad, the ugly. It all happens. On 9-11, when those planes went into those buildings and all those thousands of people died, could God have prevented it? Definitely. Did he? No. Why? I don't know. I don't know. But he has a purpose. He has a purpose. He has a plan. And it's for our good. That's a hard pill to swallow. But that's why I'm saying you have to understand we're talking about God. We're not talking about another human so when we say God wants the glory all for himself, it's because of who he is. We can't share his glory at all, ever. And so he empowers us to serve others by the strength that he provides. Because if God is going to be glorified by the ministry, by ministry in his name, it must be ministry performed by his strength. Whenever we serve in our own ability for our own glory, God doesn't approve of that. It doesn't matter what it is. It could be the best sermon you ever preached. It could be the best song you ever sang. If it's done in the flesh, he says, sorry, that's not going to count. But the times when you were at your wit's end and you don't know what you're going to do and, 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 and the whole thing falls apart, but you were, what, faithful? And you hung in there even though you didn't even know what you were talking about and you didn't know what you were saying or the chords were wrong and the thing was off key. But you know what? You knew that you had to serve and people were relying on you. And you just continued on even though at times it could have been embarrassing. You know what? He's going to tell you, well done, good and faithful servant. Why? Because you were faithful. You were faithful. Now, God doesn't want sloppy work. We need to be prepared. We need to do things the right way. But at the same time, we're not perfect. And he understands that. And that's where his grace comes in. So I would ask you tonight, I would invite you tonight to examine your own heart. Ask yourself, are you serving Christ like his disciple? Or are you just serving at your own convenience? Because that's not something that Jesus would approve of. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for each one that's come out tonight, Lord. I thank you that we are men and women who desire to be your disciples. We are your disciples. We claim to be followers of Christ. We want to abide in Christ. We surrender to Christ. And Lord, we do serve Christ. And Father, we pray that you would help us to do all those things better um, even than we desire to do them, Lord, for your glory not for our own. We don't do this to get a pat on the head or a slap on the back or that a boy or anything. We do it for you. 
we serve to the audience of one. And Lord, we know that in as men and women face eternity, they're, they're not going to be facing their friends, they're not going to be facing their family, they're going to facing, be facing an audience of one. They're going to be facing a holy God. And you're going to ask them, why should I let you into heaven? And there's only one right answer to that question. It's not because I go to church or I got baptized or did this, I did that, I fell fed the homeless. Now, the only answer that, that God is going to be concerned with, the only question he's going to ask you is, what did you do with my son? What did you do with the Lord Jesus Christ? Did you follow him? Did you serve him? Were you his disciple? Were you his follower? Because that takes commitment. That takes faithfulness. And that will be how we will know that we will be saved when we see God using us through service to those in the church. And so, Lord, we pray tonight, if there's any here tonight who's yet to put their faith or trust in Christ, I pray that they would understand that this is, this is a message that is um, for all. Lord, we've all come to the point of our lives where we realize that things weren't going maybe the way they should and we needed to surrender to Christ. And many of us in this room have done that. And Lord, we pray that if there's one hearing the recording or maybe even here tonight who's yet to do that, Lord, that they would, in the quietness of this moment, examine their own heart and realize that their sin is great, but their God and their Savior is greater. And they can put their faith, their trust in Christ. They can cry out to the Lord even now, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Save me from my sin. And when you pray that from a sincere heart, God will answer that prayer. And he will forgive you of your sin and make you a new person in Christ. Thank you, and we praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.